sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Well, it should come as no surprise to you that our nation is afflicted with polarization. We are so divided and so divisive. And so I've asked my good friend and colleague, attorney, religious freedom and human rights advocate, owner of a consulting firm in the Washington, D.C. area, and uh, author of an article appearing in the July-August issue of Liberty Magazine, entitled Jokers, Clowns, and Purists. To be my guest today, James Standish, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Hey, thanks so much, Alan. And I got inspiration for the title from a song by a band called Steel is Wheel. And uh, you, you may have heard the song. Oh, I know Jokers it well. to the left of me, clowns to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. I'd sing it for you, but people would turn off the radio show, so. So I think I would agree with you there, and I'll probably agree with what you're going to say because I've read the article. But uh, what does being stuck in the middle with you have to do with polarization in American politics and American life? Well, there's something very interesting going on in American politics, and it's something that we don't often talk about. And that is the parties, the political parties, our main parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, are appealing to fewer and fewer people. And more and more Americans are like I have been, which is their independence. Now, if you actually look at the numbers, about only 30% of Americans identify now as Democrats. And if that sounds like good news for Republicans, it is until you find out only 25% of Americans now identify as Republicans. The rest of Americans, 44%, like me, they're independents. And a lot of independents are independents for a very good reason. Uh, they don't fit. Well, we, I guess I should use the we. <laughs> yeah, and I'm in that we. I'm an independent. We don't fit into right. either for party. For a variety of reasons. Sorry. Yeah, no, we don't fit yeah, into either party. For a variety of reasons. Don't fit neatly into the parties. As the parties have drifted, and I think there's some pretty good data on, on what's drifting and how, and we can talk about that a little bit. But as the parties have drifted, the number of Americans, the percent of Americans who feel comfortable calling themselves either Democrats or Republicans has gone down. And there's a self-reinforcing reality to that because as fewer and fewer people feel comfortable in a political party, more and more of the people on the far end of that party become the dominant voice, and they're the ones picking the candidates, they're the ones making the agenda, they're the ones choosing the means and the modes of how things are going to progress. And so the parties get further and further apart, and that means that people like me who I'm not a moderate person. I would like to call myself a, a moderate in the sense of not knowing what I believe or I just can't, you know, figure things out or I'm wishy-washy. What I believe doesn't fit neatly into either party and neither party is uh, tolerant of the kind of uh, big tent that's necessary to include people like me into them. 
And so what's happened from my perception, you know, you're kind of a inside the beltway guy and I'm stuck out here in the left coast, as it were, uh, for many years. But my perception is that as, you know, the Democratic Party has gone further to the left, the Republican Party has gone further to the right. And as you said, leaving the bulk of Americans dissatisfied with either party and in between, and we don't have political options, we have had this awful gridlock, this stalemate, where at the federal level, it's very difficult to get any business done other than the most sort of basic maintenance kinds of things, any real initiatives forward are very difficult. And at the state levels, you know, the states have really kind of also sort of divided out into deep red and deep blue states and very few where there's a balance of power in between. You're right. And and part of it also is that congressional districts have been um, gerrymandered to make sure that you know, uh, there's no chance that they'll be purple. And both parties do that, obviously. I want to just address one thing you said, because there's some interesting data. There's a liberal blogger by the name of Kevin uh, Drum. He's very uh, well regarded. He's done some terrific analysis of few research data that shows that actually over the last two decades or so, the Democratic Party has actually moved further to the left philosophically and on policies then the Republican Party has moved to the right. The Republican Party on most things has remained, of most major policies, has remained relatively stable as sort of the Reagan uh, sort of um, uh, concept of what they stand for. The one thing that has changed most dramatically with the Republicans, however, has been the means and the mode of what's been now considered acceptable. So Democrats have moved which is not surprising. They are, quote, the progressives or looking to move the needle. They do push things, but they've moved quite substantially to the left, while the Republicans, you know, uh, have, and we saw this on January 6th as, as in the most extreme terms, but, but also those who have been willing to accept what happened at January 6th or explain it away. Republicans, even though their, their basic message hasn't changed dramatically, it's very hard to imagine someone like President Reagan or, or any of the Republican candidates for president revving up a crowd like happened on January 6th and then subsequently, uh, you know, the the, uh, the sort of apologists for, for what happened or those who want to minimize it and all those sorts of things. And uh, so you had those two things going on and people like uh, a lot of Americans, and we know this from once again from data, uh, and now look at the political parties as, as operating in ways that they just cannot abide. The Gallup reports that about 56% of Americans view the Republican Party unfavorably now, and almost identical 55% of Americans view the Democratic Party negatively. So you've got a majority, and of course, uh, the favorability is, is not close to that because there's as you know, with all these polls, there's always some people who just don't have a uh, have a particular response. But if you talk to average uh, people, and I talk with people all the time, and I travel around the country, so yeah, it's true that I'm inside the Beltway, uh, very literally as we speak, but I do get out and about. And um, what you find is that that kind of number actually seems a bit low. It seems like higher than 56 sure. view the Republicans negatively and higher than 55% view well, the Democrats. I want to get to the thesis of your piece. Sure. And, but before we do, I do want to point out 
One example of why I disagree with your assessment of the Republicans kind of maintaining from the Reagan era, uh, the last time we had a major immigration reform bill was when Reagan was president, and we had a broad amnesty. And I remember our church processing amnesty applications and ministering to the immigrant community at that time. Reagan was not tolerant of the kind of anti-immigrant sentiment that we see so prevalent in our politics today and, and driving so much. So that's just one example. But I agree with you. But once again, you mentioned the rhetoric has become harsher. There's no doubt about that. But even with President Trump, there was a deal proposed, but it was a quid pro quo. Uh, there'd be a pathway to citizenship for the dreamers, but there would also be a support of tighter um, border restrictions. The Democrats have gone away from tighter border restrictions in any practical way. There's, there's rhetoric to it, but, but the, you know, the results are, what do they say, the, the, the proof of the pudding's in the, in the eating. But I do want to say one other thing, and that is, it's not my analysis. I actually read Kevin Drum's analysis pretty carefully. I actually was a little bit challenged by that. It was, it was counterintuitive to me. But he's done a very careful analysis of the Pew data. And it's certainly, at the end of reading uh, his piece, uh, certainly, you know, All right. I think well, it's look, reading where I wanna, anyway. James, where I want to <laughs> go is, you know, I think your thesis has to do with the importance of those of us who feel disaffected by the party that we would otherwise lean towards, that we need to pull, you know, to re-engage and pull those parties closer to the center. I think that was your the, your core thesis, no? Well, it's certainly part of it. There's, there's somebody, there's a French political scientist. Uh, I'm going to murder the guy's name because my French is, is pathetic, but his name is, I'll pronounce it in a very, in a very English way, Diverger. And I'm sure it's a Diverger or something like this. But anyway, he, he came out with a law that um, the states, quote, the simple majority single ballot system favors the two-party system. The simple majority single ballot system favors the two-party system, which we have a simple majority single ballot system. And what he explored in this this, this, this law is there's a lot of people, and I saw Elon Musk was the most recent one saying, hey, we need a third party. That's a great thought. A lot of people have thought it. People have tried it. Ross Perot, you remember? Got I a do, few. 1992. And there are others, obviously. But you actually get that to work in a two-party system in the system that we have is exceedingly difficult. And as a result, if we want a more moderated, nuanced, a system that more comprehensively represents the views of the populace, the only way to do that is to have more of us engaged in the primary process and in 34 of the 50 states for the presidential primary, at least last time around, those were closed primaries. That means that uh, only members of the given political party can vote in them. So my thesis is this, and that is people like me and people like you, Alan, and probably many of our listeners, the 44% <laughs> who are too pure for the party system, maybe we need to rethink that and say, wait a minute, maybe our country needs better political parties. And if we need better political parties, the way to do that is for people like us to hold our nose, join the parties, get involved in picking who the candidates are, not just for the president, but for the Senate and the House and for the state, for the governorship and, and everything down the line. Because that way, if it is a broader tent, even if the party doesn't represent everything that we believe in, 
we have a chance to moderate the extremes of party politics and force the parties back towards a more mainstream, broad tent perspective on policy. So right about now, I want to make a distinction between political parties and churches, because, you know, many of us who are church going, we want to go to a church that very closely aligns with our own beliefs. And that makes a lot of sense when it comes to religion, that, you know, the more divergent you are from the teachings of a particular church, well, then maybe that's not the right church for you, right? Yeah. But when it comes to political parties, I mean, politics is the art of compromise, and it's not a game for purists. And so, yeah, it's like, pick one, which are you closer to? My wife has often told me that I should run for office, and I point out all the reasons why I would be incompatible with either one of the political parties on one score or another. But I think you're right. All of us who are independents, we need to engage in seeing that, you know, the better candidates are the ones who we get a chance to vote for, not the worst ones, not the more extreme ones. That's right. And I think that, that you bring in the church is important. And that is, in a way, uh, you're right. You look for the church, but you can't look for the perfect church. It doesn't and the exist. reason for that is because it, it doesn't exist, <laughs> because churches are operated by human beings and we're all imperfect. That's, that's the reality. But I'm not suggesting that we should, uh, you know, take the fervor of our faith and, and substitute it for politics. Absolutely not at all. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been um, hesitant to join a party is in part because politics can become your religion and politics is not my religion and I don't want it to be anybody's religion who's listening because I got to tell you, I, I've been, we've all lived through Democrats having the control of every part of the federal government and we've had Republicans holding every, uh, every part, House, Senate, uh, presidency and so forth. And we still don't live in a utopia, right. you know, no matter who's in. James, we need to end it there because we're out of time. We've been talking about your article in an upcoming issue of Liberty Magazine entitled Jokers, Clowns, and Purists. If you haven't seen Liberty Magazine, friends, go to libertymagazine.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>